Hey, Delray Vibe listeners. Uh, this week we're on a, a little bit of a hiatus. What we're doing is we're um, using our lecture. I'm going to be giving a lecture. Uh, an old friend, Joe Goldberg, he's a professor at uh, College of DuPage in Glen Ellen, Illinois. And he asked me to uh, sign in to Skype uh, from here in Washington, D.C. Uh, to give a lecture to his students. The class is called Social Media as News. We talk about social media from a perspective of government and public affairs, but also marketing for those of you out there that are running and operating a uh, small business. But um, it's a great course. Uh, You can find it on Twitter at C-O-D-S-O-C-M-E-D News. It's COD SOC Med News. Uh, It's also on... uh, medium uh just look for social media as news cod uh and also on my twitter account uh that's uh at curiously john uh and as well you'll see it on uh our twitter account at delray vibe so this week um this is a special uh episode i promised the students at dupage college uh that we'd be putting this up on delray vibe hope it's useful for everyone all of our listeners will be back soon uh, i know some of our episodes have been uh, lengthy uh over an hour long but as you know delray vibe are it goes in depth uh, conversations with those here in delray and alexandria virginia and throughout um so uh sorry about that if you'd like uh our shorter episodes um, but, uh, we're here to really talk about the issues. Uh, as always, send us your ideas for new episodes. Um, we, uh, you know, want to keep this interactive and engaging. So, uh, enjoy this lecture. It's about 52 minutes, includes Q and A, um, but it's, it addresses a case study of, um, my experience when I worked as press secretary at the U.S. government's Millennium Challenge Corporation and how we uh, we got out there and strategically harnessed uh, social media tools like YouTube and Twitter and, and, and others. So enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Enjoy. You look good, John. Thank you, sir. You're up on the screen here with the social media news class in... Uh, College DuPage, uh, we're, we're discussing on the, right now politics and social media as news. We've talked about just general journalistic social media and news. The class has a, uh, a variety of uh, majors, broadcasting and uh, production and a few other sort of goodies. Uh, I've explained you. I gave, just gave them your background, and uh, you can introduce yourself some more. If you have any questions, I can hopefully uh, be the inter- inter- person between. Make sense? Makes sense. I'll let you roll. I'll be right here. Okay. Thanks, Professor Joe. Um, Hello, everyone. Well, uh, first, why don't we start by, since this is a course on social media, why don't we do some social media? Uh, How many of you are on Twitter? Maybe uh, you can raise your hands. Virtually everybody has raised their hands on Twitter. We have a Twitter account for the class, too. Great. Well, uh, I hope you're on Twitter. Since this is a course about uh, social media as news, you know that Twitter is probably one of the most friendly social media channels, platforms for journalists and uh, and those newsmakers who want to make news and talk to journalists. So 
right before we get started, I want to uh, introduce myself, and I'm going to do it by way of Twitter. So I'm going to ask you all to pick, take out your laptops or cell phones and go to uh, the Twitter handle Curiously John. That's Curiously John, and you'll see that that's me, but it will say click here to find me on Twitter. And the reason why Curiously John goes to Jay Gagan, which is my first initial last name, is because people always say, what's your Twitter handle? And I say Jay Gagan, and I have to spell my last name, and it's really hard for them to, uh, uh, it's not as easy as Curiously John. So um, Curiously John is, is my catchy handle, which goes right to my Twitter feed. And as you'll see, this one, Jay Gagan, I have 2,732 followers. The first tweet at the top of my feed, if you could all retweet that so I can see who who's there, how many of you are there. You could see me, I could see you. You'll see that my bio um, also links to my LinkedIn. Feel free to connect there. You could find me on Facebook. But let's do this on uh, Twitter. So far, nobody's re so far nobody's retweeted. <laughs> sure. I got one retweet. Let's see who that is. Jenna. We got Jenna and the at HTTP Gen S. Almost sounds like a website, Jenna. Five one Sagittarius and grilled cheese enthusiast. I also like grilled cheese. She ha Jenna has more followers than I do, 4,852. I'm impressed. Professor Joe, I give up. Jenna's going to give the lecture here. I only got 2,700. I got 2,500, so all you guys beat me. But you know I'm an author of Grittier for a while, so. <laughs> Everybody doing what you asked? Oh, two retweets. Mike Hellman. We got Mike Hellman here. Mike is X. So, Mike, how would Mike explain his Twitter handle? Follow me at X A I P R O Prodigy. A Very cool. Great. Well, the, the goal is oh, we got five retweets. Deplorable ZL, that's Zachary Michael L, Antoine Jack, Cynthia, Paul Dipping, looking good. So now we're. Just the Is he on there? Is he on there? So this is a great way to start a social media class lecture. So. Next thing is, um, I was mentioning today to Professor Joe that 
Um, I imagine some of you or most of you, or if not all of you, follow podcasts. Um, I have a podcast called Delray Vibe. That's V-I-B-E at the end, Delray, R-A-Y, DelrayVibe.com. So this is going to be a, a special episode. We're, we're recording this. As you can see, i got a big microphone right here in front of my face. So this will be online. You'll be able to get this entire uh, the recording of this entire lecture. See a lot of uh, followers and retweets. Good stuff. So uh, you might want to go to DelrayVibe.com and, and you'll see later on. Uh, you can put in your email. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook. But this, this recording will be going up. And throughout this um, today, my little spiel here, this lecture, um, I'll be mentioning some key people um, in the world of politics and social media and, uh, and news. And uh, you'll want to follow them immediately or later on what we can do is create a, uh, a list, a Twitter list of some key people to follow. It's one of the beauties of social media. You can kind of archive who's who out there and who you should be following, who you should be talking to. And in Twitter, you'll have all, I have over 200 lists, and one of them I call the, my A1 list. It's those five, ten people that I, I want to check every single day or, or maybe every even hour. So that's the intro. You know me. I'm knowing you as you retweet and... Uh, Send me all, all nice, uh, nice love messages. Um, you should know how I met uh, Professor Joe here. We go, way, we go way back all the way to a place called the Dominican Republic. Uh, Joe and I were not there, uh, although we were there on the beaches and uh, sipping margaritas and talking about all the Dominican baseball players. We were there... Um, holding a, a series of seminars for uh, congressional leaders and politicians and elected officials and those who aspire uh, to run for office in the Dominican Republic. And this was right after President Obama's uh, big election in 2008. So many countries around the world wanted to know, how did Obama win? What did he do? And uh, Joe Goldberg and uh, a colleague and, and friend, Larry Grisolano, uh, came to the Dominican Republic. And um, we made presentations. They came, uh, presented about Obama's model. I presented on uh, something later on, a, a capstone on messaging and, and media. But um, we share this career path, and, uh, and we're still doing it by way of the class so thanks for allowing me to share with your students today joe um if you're if you're going to look to the future of, of media which is social media you got to look to the past and uh i've been thinking a lot about the dominican republic these days although i don't work and live and work there anymore it's kind of like parts of it are kind of like cuba um like a blast to the past. So if you're going to look to the future, you look to the past. Um, my kids are Dominican, and they often uh, yell these funny sayings um, because they spent their they're eight and twelve years old. And uh, there used to be a guy uh, when they lived there that would drive around the neighborhood in a little picture, the smallest pickup truck you've ever seen. One of those little. Daihatsu trucks 
And this guy would drive through these neighborhoods where there was cars double parked, kind of like a barrio. And he would have a megaphone and uh, he would yell on the megaphone, Avocate, which means avocado in, uh, in Dominican. And he would yell other things, limones, which means lemons. And uh, he would even sometimes not only sell fruit and vegetables, but he would sell uh, mops. So my kids think back to their days of living in the Dominican Republic. So I thought about this guy as my kids yell these things uh, sometimes, avocado, lemons, and, and, and mops. And I think about that megaphone. That megaphone uh, basically was that man who drove that little Daihatsu pickup truck around the, the small rural barrio uh, streets of the, of the town. That was his marketing mechanism. It was kind of like his social media. Um, and we'll get to that, and that'll be kind of like this the common uh, story I want to tell you throughout. Like, think constantly about everyone's megaphone. Um, that guy still exists. It's uh, the year 2016. You can go to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, and you'll find that guy every morning at the crack of dawn selling avocados, driving around the streets of Santo Domingo. Um, I now live in D.C., uh, I go back to Dominican Republic and other countries in Latin America to do business and, and speaking. But here in D.C., um, there's two things. If you're going to take a class on social media and news, I always wondered when I got here, what's the difference between communications and press? So if you're on, the, on Capitol Hill, for example, like I was when I first got here, there's communications directors and then there's press secretaries. Well, those are two ways to approach uh, media, uh, in this case, social media. The, the communications person is, is more or less the person who does the thinking and the strategy behind what we're going to say. And then the press person is uh, often a person who kind of manages that messaging. Um, what are we going to say to the journalists? How are we going to say it? What are they saying to us? So I know you're talking about politics today before I got on. Um, but there's also an element to communications. Maybe some of you want to go into business. Um, well, you wouldn't be doing necessarily communications or press, but you'd be doing marketing. So um, the point of this is, is that I've done all three of these. Um, recently, Professor Joe might have told you, I was um, deputy communications director for Bernie Sanders' campaign in Nevada, in Las Vegas. Um, there's no place better to do politics than Las Vegas. It was a good time, lots of hard work, um, and from there I went on to two other states, and most of you may know um, what happened with Bernie Sanders' campaign. Before that, I was in the Obama administration uh, as a press secretary. So while I did communications for a presidential campaign, I was a press secretary for a president, a U.S. president, and his agency called the Millennium Challenge Corporation. And now I have a private company where I do a lot of social media marketing, digital marketing. Uh, we sell uh, highly targeted online ads to both businesses and mostly campaigns, people who have an issue in Latin America how to reach the right audience based on their 
behavior, their 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 what their IP address uh, searches for. Um, so comms, press, and marketing, um, all these. Things, I'll try to like kind of discuss what we're discussing from this ang- these angles because I don't know where you all want to go in life. Why you're taking this course? Uh, do you want to work in politics? Do you want to work in government? Um, do you want to be an elected official? Do you want to run your own business? But the point is today with social media, you can do almost anything. And when you have the skills to use social media effectively, you can do well, you can make a lot of money, you can, uh, really go far. Um, and I'll give you one example, kind of a case study today, a story that I, uh, mentioned to professor Joe is going to share with all of you. So, um, I became a press secretary at a, uh, an agency, a U.S. federal agency called the Millennium Challenge Corporation that was created by President Bush, um, but repurposed by President Obama. And the funny thing was, while I came in as press secretary, a lot of what I was asked to do was social media. Um, and when you're a press secretary in Washington, D.C., Every agency is different. So if you're at um, a certain agency, your job may be to keep you out of the press. Um, A place like that would be uh, Treasury or maybe the Pentagon. Uh, But the agency that I was at, they wanted me as press secretary to get them in the press or to get their message out there. And they were kind of struggling. So just like that guy selling avocados and, and lemons... Uh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, they were searching for their megaphone. They they felt like they needed a, a bigger megaphone, let's say. So on day one, um, or even before I got the job, I asked uh, the outgoing head of the agency, "What is your? What do you think your megaphone is?" And uh, and and he said, um, "A feature piece on the agency." Uh, Millennium Challenge Corporation in the New York Times. Like, wow, you know, who who wouldn't want that? That sounds great. Um, and if you ask many agencies or associations here in D.C., that's probably what almost everyone would say. Uh, and if they don't say a feature piece in the New York Times, they would probably say a feature piece in the Washington Post. Or if they were thinking TV, they would say, get us on... Uh, MSNBC's Morning Joe every morning or get us on NBC's Meet the Press on Sunday. I was getting those types of answers and being a media person, uh, media professional, communications professional, and in this case the press secretary, I knew that that was highly uh, unrealistic. Um, And a lot of uh, press people or communications people, professionals here in Washington, we have a saying where uh, we have to manage expectations because whether it's a congressman or congresswoman or president or agency head um, they whoever is the principal they call it they always want to be in the limelight everybody's fighting for space here in in washington so i had to manage expectations but i had i knew i had a big problem Um, i was hired at this agency There was really two problems. One was the problem I called the problem of news. And the problem of news is that nobody gets the same newspaper anymore. 
if you if you think back a couple decades, three decades ago, um, Professor Joe will tell you everybody got the same newspaper on their doorstep, uh, and everybody read the same stuff. I mean, they read the same content. Today, uh, nobody reads the same thing. Uh, there's a lot of segmentation. There's different uh, media outlets are slanted. They're biased. Um, there's uh, more opinion opinionated journalism um, there's a lot of debate among media professionals and news professionals as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing um, there's it there's news outlets that are very idealistic uh, there's even talk these days of uh, a news outlet that I actually f uh, encountered for the first time called the Young Turks uh, I was in Dubuque Iowa and uh turned to a 19 year old i'm 40 years old and this kid was just super passionate he's listening to bernie sanders uh give his stump speech and every time bernie talked about the price of medicine going up or, or walmart taking advantage of workers this kid would have tears in his eyes and he'd be clapping harder than i've ever seen and i turned to him i said hey where do you get your information he said i i watch the young turks on youtube well, if you talk to the Young Turks, they say the reason why that they're so successful and they have millions of followers, everyone from that 19-year-old to, to other people older that, like me, is that they do the news with passion. And they believe, uh, the founder, Cenk uh, Uyghur, uh, will say that um, CNN, for example, does the news in a dispassionate way where they have producers behind the scenes that'll just tell uh, a Wolf Blitzer, for example, what he should be saying, while the Young Turks will do the news with passion, and they'll bring a perspective to it. Um, so, and, and then another thing is there's no more news cycles. So nobody gets the same newspaper. News is slanted, biased, idealistic, and there's really no more news cycles. So it was a problem of news. And the question is, in the case of, of the job that I had as press secretary of this U.S. federal agency that wanted to tell their story, who wants to know about what an agency is doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's not really news. So not only did, did I have, one, a problem of news and, and how news is changing, but also a problem of the agency because it wasn't news because it wasn't new. So if it was an agency that was created by President Bush to respond to worldwide global calls for more development assistance from the U.S. Uh, taxpayer to uh, the poorest of the poor countries around the world, um, that took place while President Bush was president uh, during a, a U.N. conference in Monterrey, Mexico. Um, also, to many people, if you want to, if, if the feature piece in the New York Times is where you want your megaphone to be, it's not interesting to everyone. I mean, unless you're uh, an inside the beltway guy or a development practitioner, um, I knew that an editor at the New York Times or an editor at the Washington Post was going to say, come on, give me a break. Who wants to read about this agency doing good stuff? Plus, it's giving away American taxpayer dollars. And how many Americans today, while our infrastructure and bridges and roads are crumbling, wants to give money to uh, a Namibia or a, a Benin or a, a Tajikistan. It's just, it's more controversial and it just wasn't news.
So uh, the other thing is it's um, the problem of the agency was that it's very specialized. So the agency wanted me as its press secretary to uh, promote its model. What's the model? The model is very complicated, but it's it also it is very important. Um, it creates a competition between the poorest countries. So basically, George Bush at that summit in the early 2000s said, uh, "Yeah, we'll increase our uh, development assistance as the U.S. government, but I don't want to give money to corrupt countries." Um, and that's you know pretty run in the mill of President Bush. He's very pragmatic and. Uh, so the development practitioners in Washington got together and created this methodology for, for that where countries competed against each other by lowering, controlling their corruption levels and treating their own citizens right. And uh, the agency wanted me to promote that. And, and I wasn't so sure that the New York Times or the Washington Post or everyday media outlets were the place to do that. They, they weren't. The other thing is they had a very, they started to look at data. If the countries were going to compete against each other, they always talked about their data-driven decision-making. Um, I'm not so sure that that's um, newsworthy either. And then um, the MCC effect. Um, this is a very technical term. It's very niche. It has a very specific audience. And, and it's basically a concept that if the countries start, the poor countries start competing with each other, um, the U.S. government could leverage uh, donations from Millennium Challenge Corporation to get to create a race to the top. Um, an article like this came out in the Economist magazine, but that is also a specific audience of practitioners who, uh, people who are in the field of international affairs, of intelligence, uh, of government, public affairs. So those were the first two problems: problem of news, problem of the agency. And then I had a third problem, um, was the, the head of the agency that hired me, he left, President Obama sent him to be uh, ambassador to the OECD, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, in, uh, in Paris. And we had a new, uh, we call it a CEO, a new president, a new head of the agency. And she was a, uh, a longtime bureaucrat, uh, civil servant in the government. She was a lawyer at the Department of Justice and a lawyer at the uh, what's called OMB, the Office of Management and Budget of the White House, which is a very powerful agency that deals with the, the, the budget, the federal budget. So this was her first coming out, and she wanted everything to be perfect. So I knew that an interview in the New York Times or with, with real journalists uh, or hard-nosed journalists, better said, uh, wasn't uh, wise. So what, did it, what happened? Um, I looked at these three problems, problem of the changing news, problem of the agency being very specific and complex, and the, the challenge of a new head of an agency who wanted everything to just be perfect and to be on the front page of Washington Post or New York Times. So I learned that I had to work with what I had. And I didn't have a megaphone like the New York Times. I didn't have, uh, I didn't even have a megaphone like that little guy in the Daihatsu selling avocados. What did I have? Um, I had social media. And uh, what I did was, you'll see that the tweet that you all retweeted goes back to a, a tweet and a video, a YouTube video, 
with uh, the One campaign. So the One campaign is uh, a campaign of uh, 7 million people around the world, and it's, uh, it's a campaign. It's an advocacy organization. Advocacy means you get out there and you advocate for an issue and you want change. You want action to be taken. So uh, Professor Joe and I have worked in campaigns uh, for um, elected uh, officials or candidates uh, all around the world. But this was a kind of fit for me because I knew that this was a campaign, but not for a person, but for an issue. And the issue was poverty. And I knew that the Millennium Challenge Corporation's goal was to reduce poverty in a different way, in a more business-like model. So, and then one.org was created by U2's Bono. I'm sure, I hope many of you know or have listened to, to Bono's music or to U2's music, but Bono created this organization, uh, the One Campaign. So it had a lot of celebrity power behind it. The other thing was I, I learned that um, the head of the One Campaign at that time was a man named Michael Elliott. And although he was the head of this One Campaign, this advocacy organization, he himself was a journalist. So I knew that he knew or he understood um, what we were trying to do. And, and, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute, what we actually did with him. But he was um, the editor of The Economist magazine. He was also at Time magazine. Since we did this um, interview um, with the new agency head of Millennium Challenge Corporation, he, he has passed away. Um, so um, if you're looking to retweet, he's not going to respond, but he's, his handle is in the tweet that we sent today, and he was part of the, the interview. Um, but here's what happened. Uh, instead of the New York Times and the Washington Post, I went to the agency head, uh, Dana, Dana J. Hyde, and I said, look, Dana, I have an idea. Um, you want to reach uh, a certain audience. You want to get out there. You want to show that this agency means business. That you want to project the image that we're doing uh, development assistance in a different way that President Obama is repurposing the agency that President Bush created. Uh, instead of getting this in the New York Times or on Meet the Press or on Morning Joe, um, let's start by having a sit-down interview with a veteran journalist like Michael Elliott, who is the head of a campaign and advocacy organization. And I stood there with her. We did the interview, first off, on our own turf. We did it in her office, a place that she felt comfortable with um and she was very nervous um as any new agency head would be that's normal that's natural but i i told her i said look at that camera right there we had three cameras i said now look at that other camera and look at the camera right in front of you i said we own all of these cameras so it is okay to make a mistake and she looked at me and said make a mistake i don't want to make a mistake i said but it's okay because we can edit it out. So if you make a mistake, we'll, we'll edit it out um, and we'll clean this up. So if you're going to make a mistake, the place to make a mistake is not the New York Times with a veteran journalist, hard-nosed journalist, or not Washington Post. It is here on YouTube, 
on a platform like one.org. So if you look at the retweet that you um, all did or, or sent at the beginning of this lecture, you'll see that one, while Professor Joe has 2,500 followers and I have 2,700, um, and some of you have even more, one.org has 1.3 million followers. So what are the lessons learned here? One, know your audience. And when I went into, you'll hear, um, whether it be communicators or marketers or press secretaries, like I, like I tell you, the, the comms professionals or the press professionals or, the, or business who, who are doing marketing, no matter who they are, um, they'll always ask the first question of, who's your audience and do you know them well? So that's what I did at this agency. I said, who's our audience? And I got all different types of responses. Whether I was talking to the head of the agency or a vice president or a managing director, everyone gave me a different response. But we ended up narrowing it down to four key groups. One was, uh, and they were all Congress, um, basically committees. House Appropriations, which is on the House of Representatives side, Appropriations writes all the checks. So um, when you get an appropriation from Congress, that means you're getting money. So their response was, our audience was House Appropriations, Senate Appropriations, uh, and then House Foreign Affairs or Senate Foreign Relations. So we had these, these four committees of Congress. And once you know your audience, you know um, what you're going to say to them. Um, the, if you're speaking to uh, rural Illinois, peop, sit, everyday citizens in rural Illinois, you're going to communicate to them one way, which I'm willing to bet is going to be much different than how you would communicate to congressional members or their staff here in Washington. So number one was know your audience. Number two is have a message. Uh, and like we did with uh, the interview with the head of the Millennium Challenge Corporation and the head of one.org, um, the message was simple. We not only uh, did it on our turf and we knew the platform, we knew the audience, but we also um, knew what they wanted to hear, what, what they were discussing, and it was President Obama's Power Africa initiative to bring power to uh, 600 million people in Africa that never even flicked a light switch. Um, so it was like we were talking about President Obama's initiative, which is what we were working for, uh, and it's what they cared for. So have a message and keep it simple. Um, control it like we did with YouTube and, and our own cameras and our own, on our own turf. And make sure it resonates. So we, we did a little research. We knew that they were interested in, in what they call energy poverty or President Obama's Power Africa initiative. And if all of you there in this class are, are thinking of uh, going beyond government or public affairs and working in business, um, your message should also have what's called a value proposition. So that's like if you're going to sell hot dogs on the corner uh, in your community, uh, but you look over and there's another guy selling hot dogs, um, what makes you different? You know, Do you have gluten-free buns when he doesn't have gluten-free? Come with a message that distinguishes you, that makes you different, and, and talks about what what value you bring to the business deal or to the to the market. So, besides number one, knowing your audience, and two, having a clear message, 
Three is know your megaphone. Um, that means really know your platforms. So like I said today, Twitter is very friendly. If you want to communicate with journalists, uh, you can do it on Facebook, but you might want to be on Twitter. That's where journalists are, especially here uh, in our nation's capital. You want to know your platforms, and that means um, knowing where your audiences live. So once you know your audience, where do they uh, where do they go? Where do they talk? Where do they live? And once you know that, you want to exploit the platform for your audience's benefit. Um, a, a, a good tale to the end of the story is we knew our audience, like I told you, it was Congress. And once we, uh, we didn't go directly to Congress. I mean, we did uh, engage, our congressional people did engage them, but me as the press secretary, as part of what our public affairs department, um, by going to a platform of 1.3 million people, members of one.org, that obviously just perked up the, the eyes and ears of elected officials. And one example I remember was Senator uh, Christopher Coons of, of Delaware. He's on a subcommittee on Africa and, and Senate Foreign Relations. Um, he loved the fact he, that Dana Hyde and Michael Elliott were sitting in an office rapping, putting a video on YouTube that was shared widely amongst uh, the one campaign. So we kind of got to Congress through an indirect way. So when I say know your megaphone, uh, you want to know your platforms, but you also want to know your delivery. So um, if you want to break this down, it's simply the who, what, and the how. So the who is who's your audience. The what is what's your message. What are you saying? Uh, and the how is, in your case, social media. So your megaphone, <laughs> what's your megaphone? Um, MCC now, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, where I used to work, uh, now has a podcast. Uh, and now it, it writes on Medium, um, where when I was there, they would have said, let's get an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or the New York Times. Well, now they're, uh, you know, they're branching out. They're, they've been in the Huffington Post. I'm sure they've, they've been on Vox. There's all kinds of new media outlets. Like I said, it's very segmented. Um, they do joint blogs together with other think tanks that cover this specific niche of development assistance, like the Center for Global Development here in D.C. But they're using, as a federal agency, social media just like you can, too. So um, what can you do? So I, I, getting back to this megaphone, I, I think about this guy driving around in a Daihatsu. I also think about a, a funny story. I went to, I used to play football in college, and I went to Syracuse football camp. And every morning, we had this really big fat guy who would coach, who would come down the hallway, and he would sing, It's time to wake up, little football players. And he'd do it with this accent. And, uh, and his voice, the, the way he was able to project his voice as a bigger man, uh, was his megaphone. And I would always hear down the hallway other football players saying, shut the hell up. And for me, that's social media because today you not only have a megaphone, but <laughs> your audience could respond to you. Uh, it would be like the guy driving, selling the avocado. Now people in their apartments or little houses could 
yell back and say, give me two avocado instead of having to run down there and get it. And not only that, you got, you can check the data. Like I can look at this tweet that you retweeted and see how many people, um, are looking at my Twitter account. Um, so you can not only project with your megaphone, but other everyone has a megaphone today. So you can track that and see how many people, what's the most, I do that all the time with my podcast. So we'll see, for example, how, um, how many people listen to this lecture, if, it's, if it resonates beyond uh, the college that you're at right now. So I hope this was helpful. Um, I guess we could open it up now to, to uh, some questions and answers. Um, I know you guys are doing a lot of innovative things. It's great to see you all on Twitter. I know you have a, a Facebook group. Um, I saw you had a, your own Twitter handle for the whole course, which I uh, CC to on that tweet that you all retweeted. So we're all part of a network. I've been in touch with Professor Joe for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, it's good to reunite and be able to play a role in, in his class with you all there today. Um, but let's keep the conversation going because we all have these megaphones and we can be yelling and tracking each other and where each other go. And, uh, you know, we're here to help you with uh, your career paths and, and, and your learning. Thanks, John. Anybody have any immediate questions? Cynthia has a question. A little bit. Could you repeat it? It was. I can. It was basically. What are your strategies to expand your audience on the different platforms? Was that sort of summing up, or how do you how do you get more Twitter followers? How do you get more Facebook followers? Is there a specific strategy to be able to get to increase to one point three million? Well, there's a saying in in the world of social media, um, organic or non-organic. For example, um, you. I'm sure you all have Facebook. You'll see that there's sponsored ads. Um, you'll see that there's, uh, ads not only in your newsfeed, but on the side, well, you can buy followers. I mean, basically, like I said, we sell digital ads to highly targeted audiences in in Latin America. Um, and those are for people that have money that want to get to people using paid media, we call it. Um, but when you're a press secretary, like I was, uh, you work with what's called earned media. It's called earned media because it's it's not free because, for example, the agency had to pay me. But if you get a spot in the New York Times or the Washington Post, um, that's great. People will start to follow you. And you should always put out your 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 handle or your um, your Facebook page. Always get like, leave a hook where someone can grab onto. Um, but to answer your question specifically... If you're just starting a Twitter account, you're new to social media, um, a lot of people think you just want to tweet as much as you can or be act as active as you can. Um, and I don't think that's true. And, and you should follow, the, if you're going to follow one person today, you want to follow um, my social media godfather. Uh, his name is Sri Srinivasan. And his handle, write this down, uh, at Sri, S-R-E-E. That's his, his handle. Um, do me a favor. Tweet to him right now and say, John, uh, John Gagan is talking about you in our social media's news class. He'll tweet back. 
Um, he is going to be assuming the position of chief digital officer for New York City, one of the most global cities in the world. Um, he's like the social media guy for the whole city. Um, he will say to you that almost everything you tweet or everything you put on social media will not be seen. Uh, it will be missed. Uh, and that's true. And that's disheartening. Um, but there is so much power behind this. If you follow this methodology that I talked to you about today and you build on that, like if you know your strategy. So, so the good example was, um, at the, at MCC, not only the Millennium Challenge Corporation, not only did I figure out what our audience was, but then I would sit down with our congressional people and say, okay, well, you know, we need to reach the, this audience, but for what? And they would always say, look, as a federal agency, there's only two things we can get from Congress. More money, or what they call appropriations, more appropriations, more budget, more money, or a reauthorization. So what happens is when President Bush creates the agency, Congress creates it. It gets authorized. And then what you want is like another blessing from Congress. So I knew the goal. I, I knew the strategy. So if you want to get more followers, and more followers may not even be the, the currency or the value that you're looking for. Maybe you want to just talk to uh, an audience of 30 people. If you're trying to sell uh, pantyhose, maybe you just want to talk to uh, millennial women. Um, but the point is, if you know your audience, have a message, know your strategy, and then combine it with your megaphone, which is today social media, you could really drive not more, not quantity. It's it's quantity and quality. Well, any more questions? I got a question, John. And you sort of gave it your answer on the street answer is... If you saw the syllabus, they're going to be doing a project uh, sort of based on a topic of their own selection. They're going to put it up on Medium, and they'll be doing podcasts and videos and, and infographics based upon it. And we don't have access to a lot of research on them. How do you? How does someone who, say your topic is bullying, how, what would be the process that a lone individual somewhere in the middle of nowhere says, I want to expand my audience on bullying? Do, is it go to the bullying sites, is the, the government, is what, what kind of, you sort of answered before, what kind of steps would you say in your mind if you have a specific topic that you're trying to go for, and we don't know who your, who your audience is yet, except for you have a topic. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I, I could tell you what I do, um, and I don't know if this is the right answer or the wrong answer, but I'll, um, I'll, go, I'll go to Twitter first, and I'll find the world... You see that I think when I went through here, I said that everybody reads this, the same newspaper or they used to read the same newspaper and now media is so segmented. Well, so is research or so is topical areas. So you can find not only somebody who's an expert on bullying, but you could find by way of the internet or, or social media someone who's an expert on bullying in inner cities of African Americans that are, uh, have one, a single mother. I mean, you really can, can, can nail it down. What I do is I'll, t I'll go to Twitter and I'll follow that expert, the best expert I can find. And what Twitter does, it'll recommend you might also want to follow these people. 
and then I'll I'll open it up into another window and then I'll follow that person and it'll recommend three more. And basically it's like a pyramid. You start with the the best expert on bullying that you, you, you were able to find and then it'll just start recommending people. And that's why I have over 200 Twitter lists. Uh, some of them are public, some of them are private. And I'll put uh, all them into a list and I'll just read that constantly. And then I'll read what they read. So like if I tell you to follow Shri, Shri is a walking think tank. I mean, he is a, a social media expert. He was the, look, Shri used to teach social media. He's a, he's a tech journalist. So he'll talk about social media on CNET or Mashable or CNBC. He used to teach social media at the Columbia Graduates, Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism in New York, which is one of the best journalism schools in the world. So it's, it's particularly important for the class you're taking right now. I mean, Sri Srinivasan is a goldmine for all of you if you're interested in social media as news. Then Sri, uh, while he was professor of journalism became the chief digital officer of the first chief digital officer for the entire university of columbia university and then he went to the metropolitan museum of art and became the first chief digital officer there where now people don't have to go to the museum the met in new york city they could see art online or by way of social media and now he's going to be the chief digital officer for all of new york so um the thing is that shri not only do you want to follow him, but you want to look at what he's tweeting out or who's following him. And he has a saying, it's not, if you're, if you're getting back to the previous question before you, Professor Joe, um, how do I build my followers? Shri always says, it's not who follows you. It's who follows who follows you. Because you could have a lot of followers that are uh, just anybody but then if you have someone following you who's followed by uh, David Axelrod or Tom Brokaw or, or key journalists, that person is influential because they provide a network to, to you, uh, a network of networks. So um, I would say you can do what I do, build your Twitter list, and then listen. And that's something that's very underestimated on social media. Everybody wants to talk. Everybody wants to tweet. I look at a lot of my closest friends, they tweet often, and uh, you'll look at how many retweets and there's zero, uh, or two or three. You have to be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton these days to actually get 1.3 thousand retweets. Um, and that's just the nature of social media. But what you want to do, and don't underestimate this part, is be a listener on social media. So if you're going to follow someone like Sri Srinivasan, read what he's reading or read what he's retweeting, and then file that in uh, something like Flipboard. Put all those articles there. And if bullying is the, the question or the topic that you have, Professor Joe, to use your example, make a folder on bullying. And you'll soon realize, like I do, um, I have over 50 magazines on Flipboard. That's, that's outrageous. I mean, I can't even read all that, but I, I'll start following a topic like bullying. And like I said... Before I know it, I'll have to create a bullying in the inner cities or bullying in middle America uh, or the Midwest. And, and you'll start to see that you can really filter and coordinate and archive your research using all these great tools that are all part of social media today.
questions, anyone? See, I see people paying attention. It's the question part thing. As you know, in the class, I guess, just typically, me, everything there on their, on their mind, topic that John brought up of audience and uh, messaging. I mean, the, the, the key part's about you know, knowing your audience, have a message, know your megaphone, add value. That all should sound a little bit familiar just from what we were talking about. But do you have any questions that might specifically think might help you as you, as you journey forward here on your particular topic? No, everybody's shaking their head, John. It's been about, it's almost an hour, so that's a lot of your time. Um, if you don't have any final comments, I don't want to force force you to sit here as we force out questions, but um, if you have anything final, then I'll just sum up and say thank you. Yeah, no, I wanted to um, just, on an inspirational note, uh, or leave on an inspirational note, look, um, guys, I, I, I got on the phone the other day with Professor Joe, and I asked him, uh, you know, who, who's the audience? Who's my audience for this lecture? And, uh, and he gave me the rundown. Um, be optimistic. Um, you should really feel inspired by the tools you have out there. Uh, Professor Obama, uh, Professor, President Obama always talks about if you can decide like what generation you'd want to live in, you mostly everybody would say, I want to live in this generation. Um, and it's true. I mean, there's so many tools out there. Technology is great. If you're taking a class on social media as news, that's a smart decision. You've already made a smart decision. Get the best out of it. And um, and I would say one last thing. Don't don't just create all these things like your podcast and your Medium account and your Twitter account for purposes of the class. Do it for the class because Professor Joe is asking you to do that. But do it so that you can use it for the rest of your life. Your brand is is you. I mean, we live in a world where there's so much noise, so much content, so much information. You're going to have to, whether you go and work in, like I said, in government or public affairs or business or wherever, you're going to need to have these tools. So start building them now. Create that foundation. Make mistakes. And uh, Joe, Professor Joe's there to help you and... And, uh, you know, you want to call on me again, I'll be here. You, you know where I live. You, you found me on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Um, you know, make the best of it because there's really great things out there that could take you far and whatever you want to do. That's great. You're good. Your brand is you. That's a great comment. It's a great comment for everybody to think about. So I, I'm going to thank John for his time. Let him go back to, uh, to his other work. And we'll keep in contact. Keep in contact with him on Twitter. And everywhere else he lives on social media because he's out there, as you, as you can tell. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks for the Thank opportunity. You. It's great. Nice Bye. Day. You too. Delray Vibe is a production of Infinity Media USA, LLC. Delray Vibe's host and founder is yours truly, John R. Gagan Jr. Delray Vibe is a production by Creative Director Roman Sitt, Director of Photography Vivian Nunez, and Senior Producer Gail Todson-Reuter, with music by Kevin MacLeod. Special thanks to Delray Mastermind Group, Delray Tower, Delray Business Association, Alexandria Chamber of Commerce, 
and Jose Gregorio Cabrera at Infinity Media. Until next time, this is Del Rey Vibe.